Greetings and welcome. My name is James White, and we are right in the midst of a study of what the Quran says in regards to the crucifixion of Christ, specifically the words of Surah 4.157, which says that they said in boast, speaking of the Jews, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah, but they killed him not nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them and those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. In our last study, we looked at the fact that all of the first century sources, the historical sources that come to us from the time of Christ, the New Testament and the, the number of streams of testimony in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, those things that came before Paul, the Gospels, the New Testament testifies to this. The early Christian writings that exist outside of the New Testament, written within 100 years of Christ, testify to this. And there are even secular sources that have absolutely no religious interest whatsoever in the subject of the crucifixion, likewise make reference to the execution or crucifixion of Jesus under Pontius Pilate there in the first century. And so we noted that when we just look at the historical information, that it is not until the second century that we find anyone denying this. And why do they do so? For historical reasons? No. A whole new religion called Gnosticism is trying to make room for Jesus within its teachings. And since they deny that Jesus had a physical body, well, it follows rather logically. He could not possibly have been crucified upon a cross because you cannot crucify someone who doesn't have a physical body. And so these are the ones who came up for the first time in history with the idea that someone else was crucified in Jesus' place. One group even came up with the idea that Judas was crucified in Jesus' place and Jesus is standing off to the side someplace laughing uh, that this is taking place. Obviously, a complete misrepresentation of who Jesus would be, the purposes of the Bible, all these things, because Gnosticism is a completely different religious system. But we noted that really when you look at Surah 4.157, we have a struggle in even understanding exactly what it is that it's saying. Is this a clear word from Allah? That is certainly the claim of the Quran, that the Quran is a clear word, an understandable, a perspicuous word. But is Surah 4.157 really clear? Are we really able to understand what it's saying? Let's look at it closely and ask some questions because it has resulted in all sorts of different interpretations, even amongst Muslims over time. And one of the main reasons is this. Please keep this in mind. Normally, when there is a difficult text in the Quran, we can go to the Hadith. We can go to the collections of the sayings of the Prophet and there will be discussions of a particular text. It'll be quoted and it'll be explained. But there is no reference whatsoever to Surah 4, 157 in the Hadith literature. Muslims for 200 years could not remember a single word of the Prophet Muhammad about this particular ayah. Now, doesn't that strike you as strange? Every place else, where the Quran denies a cardinal tenet of the Christian faith, it does so more than once, it does so with a certain level of clarity, and there's Hadith commentary upon this because obviously Muslims knew that they were denying a very central element of the Christian faith. But here, where the crucifixion is denied, for 200 years, 
Muslims cannot remember a single thing the prophet said about this. So you have 40 lonely Arabic words with no historical background and no commentary from Muhammad himself. That's what Surah 4, 157 really is. But then let's look at the text and let's ask ourselves some questions about what's being said. They said in boast, who is the they? In the context, it's the Jews. And the Jews are quoted saying, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. Now, if we know what the word Christ means, would Jews actually say that they killed the Messiah? Christ is simply the Greek word, Christos, for the Hebrew word, Mashiach. And so what Jews would ever say, we killed the Messiah, Jesus? They wouldn't make such a statement. And so is this really a citation of someone, or is this just a general uh, narrative of, of some boasting of the Jews? But certainly these would not be words that the Jews themselves would use. But the context then is, well, the Jews are boasting that they killed Jesus. But then it says, but they killed him not. Who is they? The Jews? A Christian could agree with that. I mean, it was not the Jews who drove the nails into the hands of the Lord Jesus. That was the Romans. Is that all this text is saying? Is it only saying the Jews didn't do this? Some people actually try to read it that way. That's certainly not how the majority of Muslims take it. It says they killed him not. Well, the Jews did not kill him, nor crucified him. Who did? It was the Romans. Now, the Jews were involved. They were the ones who called for this to happen. So would it really be a, a true statement that they were not involved? No. But the text just isn't clear enough to tell us exactly what is being said. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. Now, some people have actually gone to the point of saying that Jesus was crucified, but he survived the crucifixion. There are some Muslims who take that view and say that the crucified here would just would mean to crucify to death. But of course, the normal use of the term crucifixion in the ancient world and even in Arabic itself is as a means of execution. So can we really take this text in that sense or not? Again, who's to say? There's no Hadith commentary to tell us. And the text is not clear enough. So it says they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. But then we come to the key text. But so it was made or he was made to appear to them. This is the very basis of the substitution theory. The idea that someone was made to look like Jesus, whether it was Judas or Simon of Cyrene or one of the apostles voluntarily doing so. All sorts of theories have been suggested over time by Muslims as to who was made to appear like Jesus. But if it says, but so it was made to appear to them, and not he was made to appear to them, which I think is a better translation, then is there really any basis for the substitution theory at all? But if we go with it was made to appear to them, what was made to appear to them? That Jesus died upon a cross? Was it just all a, a charade played out by God? One thing is for certain, Whoever is making it appear to them is Allah. And so if you do take the substitution theory, if you do say someone else was made to look like Jesus, then what you have to admit you're saying is Allah is responsible, whether purposefully or inadvertently, for starting the Christian faith. But then there's another problem. It was made to appear to them. Who? 
The only them in the context is the Jews. So did it only appear to the Jews that Jesus died upon the cross, but not to the Romans and the Christians, the followers of Jesus? Upon what basis do we go from the them being the Jews to them being everybody who observed? Jews, Romans, pagans, the followers of Jesus. Were the followers of Jesus aware that he had not been crucified? We don't know. This is not a clear teaching. This is not a clear revelation. The text simply doesn't answer these questions. And so when it then says, those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, what's that talking about? Differ in what? Differ in the substitutionary theory? Differ in knowing who them is? Differ in knowing whether it, is, it, is, uh, it was made to appear or he was made to appear? I mean, anyone honestly coming to this text, and, and, and our Muslim friends must give us this, they must grant this, that if a, a Christian comes to the Quran and simply wants to know what does this text mean, isn't bringing a whole bunch of baggage with him, just wants to come and say, here is a text that denies seemingly that Jesus died upon a cross. I mean, can we even go that far? There are some people who would say that's not even what it's saying. But here's this text, and this text has functioned historically as the very foundation of a major division between Muslims and Christians. And if we're going to talk about what we believe, and we're going to talk about how we relate to God, and if we're going to talk about what we believe God has done in this world and what is most important about what God has done in this world, then it is absolutely necessary that both sides be able to come to the other side's scriptures and have true and sound knowledge of what they say. And so a Muslim can, can clearly, a, a, a Christian invites a Muslim to come and to read the New Testament and to fairly analyze it. And, and we provide all sorts of tools for anybody to, to examine the text of Scripture. Anyone with a computer today has access to literally an entire scholarly library of information about the languages and the form it's in and, and its history and, and, and lexical sources and all sorts of things like that. And we would encourage Muslims to look at these things in a fair manner. But if we try to do the same thing and we come to Surah 4, 157, this text simply cannot answer the questions that we ask. I mean, certainly you can go, well, uh, you know, there are some who view it this way and some who view it that way. The problem is, this is the only text that addresses this issue. And you see, uh, when, when Muslims, for example, object to the deity of Christ, and, and they say, well, I, I just can't believe this idea that Jesus is God. And they look at a particular uh, passage, one particular verse in the Bible. And they say, well, this is not really clear. There, there's there's, there's got to be another, another way of understanding this. You see, none of the central Christian doctrines are based on only one verse. If you don't like John 1.1, if for some reason the phraseology is such that you don't, you don't see that it's teaching that the word was eternal and, and uh, had no beginning, 
Well, there's all sorts of other texts. You can go to Titus 2.13, where Jesus is identified as our great God and Savior. 2 Peter 1.1, where he's identified as our God and Savior. Colossians 2.9, where all the fullness of deity dwells in him. Or Philippians chapter 2, where he eternally existed and enters into human flesh. There's all sorts of other texts we can go to. And they're not going to have the same kind of grammatical or textual issues that the one verse you're looking at might have. We don't have that kind of option. When it comes to what the Quran says about the crucifixion, there's just the 40 lonely Arabic words. That's all there is. And so if those 40 words have not been crafted in such a way, they have not been constructed in such a way as to be clear and to be perspicuous, mubinun, to, to communicate to us with clarity and force, then what grounds really does the Muslim have for maintaining a denial in the light of the historical information, in the light of the fact that this position coming at the absolute best 600 years after the crucifixion, and may I remind you, because of what Uthman did with the revision, we really can only trace these words back to about 655. We're going to mention that in another study. But with all of that in mind, can we really allow these 40 words written in a different language by someone who does not have access to the original language of the Bible, does not even have access to the Bible in his own language, over half a millennium later, in a completely different geographical setting, a completely different culture, can these 40 lonely Arabic words really overthrow the united testimony of all the information that comes from the first century? Can at least our Muslim viewers understand why a Christian looks at this information and says, that's not enough? If someone were to come along, and I used this illustration earlier, but now I want to apply it. If someone were to come along in the 13th century, long after the time of Muhammad, and write only 40 words in another language that denied some central aspect of Muhammad's ministry or life, deny that the Hijra took place, uh, uh, deny that, uh, that, that the Muslim forces came into Mecca, denying something about the Hajj or the, or the Kaaba, something along those lines, could 40 unclear words in a different language written by someone 600 years later with no connection to the original events, could those 40 words cause you to abandon your belief in those things? If they could not, then you, can you at least understand why the Christian says, this is not sufficient. This is not enough. We know that the text says, well, they have doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow. But we're not told conjecture about what? The text is not clear enough to tell us. And it says, for a surety, they killed him not. Well, they, the Jews, may not have. But does that mean that the, that the Romans did? I mean, if we were just to read the Quran on its own, if you were to go over to Surah 355, you will find normal Arabic language referring to the death of Jesus. If you go over to Miriam, Surah Miriam, Surah 19, you will find Jesus talking about the day of his death in the exact same terms that John the Baptist did less than 20 ayahs earlier. And we know John the Baptist died. 
In other words, we would read the Quran and we would understand it to refer to the death of Jesus in these other texts. But we don't read it that way only because of Surah 4, 157. And I want to ask you a question. As we're going to see, as the Quran was compiled, some of the ayahs were found in the memories of only one individual. Was this one of those ayahs? We're not told. We don't know. We don't know. But what if only one person remembered this ayah? That would explain why the, the, the prophet never commented on it, right? What if this came from only one person? How do you know? Since that person is remembering this after the time of Muhammad that he was accurate. Wouldn't the rest of the Quran make more sense in its discussions about Jesus if this verse, this ayah wasn't there? It most definitely would. Now, for our Christian viewers, it's important to explain what this ayah has resulted in in Islamic belief. Specifically, we can look at the words of Yusuf Ali when he commented on this text. And he said, the Orthodox Christian churches uh, make it a, a cardinal point of their doctrine that his, Jesus' life, was taken on the cross, and he died and was buried, and on the third day he rose in the body with his wounds intact and walked about and conversed and ate with his disciples and was afterward taken up bodily to heaven. This is necessary for the theological doctrine of blood sacrifice and vicarious atonement for sins, which is rejected by Islam. The Quranic teaching is that Christ was not crucified nor killed by the Jews, notwithstanding certain apparent circumstances which produced that illusion in the minds of some of his enemies. Of course, I would immediately ask Mr. Ali, it also produced that in the minds of his friends and his followers. So if that was God's action, if Allah did that, then is not Allah responsible for the beginning of the Christian faith? And remember, in regards to Surah 4, 158, it says that Jesus was raised up to Allah and the common belief of Muslims, that that means that he was bodily taken up to heaven rather than being crucified. Assad has commented on this particular text. He refers us back to Surah 355, which I just mentioned, where God says to Jesus, Verily I shall cause thee to die and shall exalt thee unto me. The verb rafa'u, that idea of raising him up. It says whenever the act of raf, elevating, is used, whenever that act of a human being is attributed to God in the Quran, the meaning of honoring or exalting is found. Nowhere in the Quran, Asad says, is there any warrant for the popular belief that God has taken up Jesus bodily in his lifetime into heaven. And so we have all these different viewpoints being expressed by Muslims on these key issues. But I want to make sure that my Muslim friends likewise understand how important this issue is. We just read, for example, from Yusuf Ali, that Islam denies the need for vicarious atonement. Indeed, it is found in the Hadith literature that the Prophet told a story about a man who killed 99 people. And he went to a priest and asked if God would accept his repentance. And the priest said that God would not. And so he killed the priest. So now he's killed 100 people. And he goes to another man and he says, will God accept my repentance? And the man says, if you'll go to such and such a village, 
those people there will instruct you as to how God will accept your repentance. So as the man is going, the time of his death came, and the angels from paradise and the angels from the fire came to collect his soul, and they, they argued over to where he was to, to go. And so Allah decreed that if he was closer in his journey to the village to where he was going, then he would go to paradise. If he was closer to the city from which he had come, then he would go into the fire. And Allah caused the land, the earth itself, to shrink between the man and the village to which he was going and to expand between himself and the other city so that he was one cubit. He was just one measuring unit closer to the city that he was going to. And so this man, without even having found out how to make his repentance acceptable before God, went to paradise. Muslims do not believe that God's law needs to be fulfilled. They reject the biblical teaching found in Old and New Testaments that God's law, when it is broken, demands a payment, that those who sin must die. And so what we have in the Islamic idea is that Allah can simply forgive sins without his glory, without his holiness, and without his law being fulfilled. The Christian says that God's law is given by God to reflect his nature. And therefore, to violate that law and to allow that law to be broken without any reparation taking place is to deny the very singular glory of God and his holiness, his justice. And so Christians believe that all sin will be punished. It will be punished in one of two ways. Either all sin will be punished in the sinner themselves, justly and rightly, or that sin will be punished in a substitute, in one who is capable of taking that sin upon themselves. You see, no one will ever be treated unjustly, according to the Christian faith. Justice will be done. God's law will be satisfied. And one's sins will either find their punishment in the sinner, in eternal separation from God, or those sins will find their forgiveness. The wrath of God will be exhausted against them in a perfect substitute, that is, in the person of Jesus Christ. That is why substitutionary atonement is so important. For Jesus takes the place of all those who believe in him. The wrath of God falls upon Jesus in their place. And that is why a Christian has peace with God. That is why the scriptures can actually use that rich term, shalom. Shalom does not just mean a ceasefire. There is no peace in the Middle East today from the biblical perspective because true shalom involves a wellness of relationship. And the Bible says that when we believe in Jesus Christ, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way that a person can have peace with God because it is the only way in this life in which the wrath, the just and proper wrath of God against our sin can be forgiven. That is why this is so important. And that is why I say to a Muslim, will 40 lonely Arabic words 
keep you from hearing the message of the crucified Messiah who gave himself voluntarily so that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins? Obviously, it is my prayer, it is my desire that you come to recognize that the message of the cross has always been the message of the Christian faith and is a message that can bring you life and peace and eternal life in him. Thank you.